0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: All of us like to lead when we know what we're doing. But when foundations are shaken or assumptions that we hold are questioned, It can be difficult and challenging to persevere in leadership. St. Paul had the same challenge. In today's talk, I'd like to examine with you how we can persevere in leadership even in uncertain times. Okay, everybody, let us begin, first of all, as we always should, with an invocation of the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, Illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint John pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all of us are here today because in one form or another, we've accepted this uh, call by Christ, by God, in our lives to lead. We've accepted this bold proclamation that even though there's nothing out there in front of us, we're going to make something. You know, we stand in the long line of doers whose exploits create history. You know, I think it's a it's just an amazing thing. We, we can't really speak too highly about leadership, I, I, I think. I think leadership is something that's at the foundation of peace, prosperity, culture. Uh, if you're not leading, then you're following. And Christians are called to follow Christ and him alone, and that means that we lead the rest of the world, right? So it's just like part and parcel of the identity of a Christian is that as soon as you follow the King of Kings, you stop following everybody else you follow him and that means that people are going to get behind you in the direction that christ who is new and who brings a new idea and a new freshness to life here below we we we, everyone starts following us as we follow him which means following christ makes you a leader with respect to everybody else and and this wonderful truth is something that we we lose perspective of in a secular world, right? So as our, as our society today becomes increasingly convinced that somehow or other it can maintain its identity without its roots, right, which is really quite a, quite a thing, you know, if we came from Christian principles and a Christian outlook, to deny that Christian outlook is also to deny where we came from and this is something that you saw the vatican for example railing about when when the european union was being formed that the european constitution didn't even mention christianity nor the word christ even though the european experiment began clearly from the point of view of a christian empire and so that that lack of recognition of roots But the Vatican said repeatedly at that time was, when you deny your roots, you also lose track of your bearings for your future. If your constitutional documentation doesn't include a Christian reference, it's because you are not intending to continue in that same vein. But if your very identity is Christian, well then you're you're leaving your identity behind to embrace a new identity, not just a new uh, explicitation of that identity not just a new development of that identity but you're loo- leaving your very identity behind and there the Vatican waved a big flag now everybody ignored it it didn't matter they adopted the european constitution as it was and we went forward but i think in the united states of america we are looking at the exact same kind of situation who is christ to us as a country who is god to us as a people as a nation and a secularist approach would say well you know what, there is no room for God, or if there is, he's basically just not even uh, in practical terms relevant, but actually we're going to even push forward saying no, and in the name of tolerance and, and acceptance, which of course are wonderful things that we all endorse, but in the name of that, we're going to actually reject any proclamation of a truth that would require a type of submission leading towards an identity that we deem to be a separation. All right, well, that's a, fine, that's a fine thought, you know. Now the question is though, what does that leave us with? Because what if our nation was founded based upon ideals that were guaranteed and enshrined in that faith? Then what do you do? What, where, where are we going for the future? Well, it'll leave us in a secularist vision without that sure mooring, without that sure guidance of our past and our roots. And many people say that's fine. It's time for us to be courageous and to push on towards a brave new world. and Say, okay, well, that's, that, that, there. the point is, though, at that moment, what are we going to do as Christians? Our children no longer see, if you look at the, the pew, latest Pew polls, of atheism and lack of religion, the nuns n o n e s right of the world, we don't have any reference point towards God or religion. It's on the rise. The largest population of atheism in the country is in those underneath the age of thirty. All right. So, and, and, and the, the the polls are amazing. Do they believe that there is there's a God somewhere out there? Well, yes. Do they pray to him? No. Do they think that there's a right or a wrong in the world? Answer, no. The overwhelming majority of people under 30 in the United States of America do not believe that there's an absolute right or wrong in the world. Uh, that's, you know, you kind of look at that and you say, well, who's going to stand up for human rights? Who's going to stand up for the rights of the poor? And we, you'd like to think, well, of course, we, we are, you know, because we're good people. We have this vestige in us. But will you really? If you don't believe that there's an absolute right and there's an absolute wrong, that means that you can be convinced that whatever it is that oppresses the rights of the poor, of the innocent, of the marginalized, can be justified. <laughs> and that, my friends, means that you have the right, therefore, to remain silent in the, in the face of terrible things. And that means that you will not lead. Leadership comes from people of conviction. Leadership comes when people say, there is a truth that's higher than me. Moral leadership, right? Business leadership is different. But moral leadership says, you know what? There's a a truth that we have to hang on to and that we need to implement for the health and the goodness of our world. Well, religion obviously is a huge source of that truth. It's an understanding of the truth. So to his family, well, if I can mitigate the role of the family And if I can silence the role of religions, then I can mute that prophetic voice that says we cannot do whatever we want to do. We cannot justify anything that we want to do. We have to be able to to implement what is objectively true and avoid what is objectively false for the objective health of our world. And that makes us leaders. And it also puts us at a difference from the world around us who would not ascribe to that opinion. And so that leaves us with the fundamental question, what are you going to do? Christianity is a source of moral leadership because Christianity affirms truths that provide essential and objective guidance to our world. You might not like Christianity. You you know, not everybody's going to ascribe to it but you do have to dialogue with it based upon its intellectual merits. And that dialogue today is often lacking. And that, my friends, means that we are facing a time, and it could be within our lifetime, where we're going to be challenged to provide a justification for the direction that we as Christian leaders want to take our country, want to take our families, want to take our relatives, want to take our children, It's no longer going to be just necessarily held for granted that what we've perennially accepted as being good and over the ages have had a sense and a consensus about the good. When that consensus is eroded, well, who is it that's going to have your back about the decisions that you're making based upon that age-old consensus? Are you going to be able to lead? Are you going to be willing? By God's
0: grace, you will. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org, that's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org, and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: I think that this notion of a framework is really important for us our human psychology naturally seeks frameworks if i know the paradigm then i can fit into it and you even have different personalities that flow that way Uh, for example if you think about water water takes the shape of whatever's around it okay so if you pour water in a narrow jug it'll have a narrow constituency if you pour it in a wine glass it'll take the shape of the wine glass And a lot of us, that's how we we like to be. If you give me the parameters, give me the security, well, I'll fill it. Now, that's the first form of leadership. It's excellent. This is the leadership of the young kid at school. You know, if you say, okay, Johnny, good boys do this. Then Johnny steps forward. He's a good boy. He does that. And he gets rewarded for it. And, And he becomes a leader because he's stepping up and doing things. My challenge to you is to take a step into that second form of leadership that says that the parameters that are given to me are given to me by God, by Christ. Because the parameters around me that the society might give me might be very fine and wonderful, but they might also not be. And my, my reference point mustn't be the people around me when I am called and conducted to lead the people around me. The people around me give me the context for my leadership, but they don't give me the essence of my leadership, right? The the, the context of my leadership is the essential uh, qualities that I need to dialogue with and bring underneath the one whom I'm serving, And I can't leave those people behind. I mean, there's kind of like, they're the ones that I'm leading. So obviously I have to be part of that. I have to understand that. I have to embrace that reality of the people that I'm trying to lead. But that doesn't give me the direction of my leadership. My leadership is pointed towards something other, something greater than the people that I'm leading. It's where we're taking them, right? You know, obviously. Obviously. But the, if we're not careful, we'll stay in that framework of looking around and saying what's acceptable, you know, what do the people want, you know, and then and, and we might do a good job of leading them to a certain degree, but it's not the leadership that's essential. We can organize a community right that way we can create some sort of social harmony that way. And that's valuable, but it's not the directional transformational leadership that ensures the prosperity and the health of our businesses, of our teams, of our endeavors. There, there needs to be a vision about where we're going as a people. And that vision, in order to be truly effective, needs the true moorings of objective truth, of objective goodness. And where do those come from? Well, obviously, it comes from human reason and our ability to detect those in nature, and it also comes from our ability to ascribe and submit ourselves to nature's God, the source of all of that truth. This is exactly what we as Christian leaders are called to do. But I want to I go to a point in the life of St. Paul where we see this playing itself out. Right? And if you look, look at the early church, God is such a direct agent in the church. It just blows your mind. I mean, these men, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Saint Matthew, right? St. Saint, Saint Andrew, St. Saint James, St. Bartholomew, the 12 apostles, these 12 apostles had no apostles ahead of them. They knew Jesus intimately from the three years that they spent with him following him on the road. They had formed a brotherhood around Our Lady in, in Acts chapter 2, as they gathered with her in prayer for nine days. I mean, that was quite a retreat. And in that nine days in the upper room of prayer and fellowship, they coalesced into a unit. And then that unit then anointed by God on Pentecost erupted into this world in a proclamation. But I want to emphasize something. They did not have apostles ahead of them. They had the Lord and the Lord himself, who was providing the framework the assurances, the basis, the foundations, it was all Jesus. And, and, and being rooted in Jesus, reference point in Jesus, they had to then step forward boldly where no apostle had gone before, <laughs> right? To take the gospel even to the ends of the earth. I mean, St. James going all the way to northern Spain, taking it to Finisterre which is a spot where I was privileged to take my ministry, Eagle Eye Ministries, on a pilgrimage, we said Mass at Finisterre. Finisterre means the ends of the earth. It's a location in northern Spain where the earth finishes off into the sea. And you go out in this little peninsula, it looks like the, end, the world is coming to an end. And it's so beautiful, you go at the ends of the earth, and we celebrated a holy mass right there on the cliffside at Finisterre. Right where the St. James had been there. He took the gospel to the ends of the earth, literally. And from that time, of course, we, the, the, the gospel expanded forth in all of the, the new world discoveries, and we have covered the globe. And, but this, this conquest, this spirit of moving without parameters to give new parameters to places where old parameters had, had prevailed And those new parameters being the gospel of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's a missionary endeavor. And it required a missionary kind of leadership. Their eyes fixed on Jesus. Their hearts planted in Jesus. They went and created a culture around them. The culture of the church. The culture of the community of believers in Christ who lived differently than, there, than, than th- those who did not believe. And if you want to look at that, you can see it in, in the apology of Justin Martyr. This is one, the year 150, where Justin Martyr is talking about all the things that the Christians don't do, right? And, and that we don't do makes us different from everybody else around us. Why? Because we have a different paradigm. Our culture is not based upon Caesar or the cult of the gods, or, or public opinion, our cult is based upon the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the worship of him. That makes for a difference. And the leadership that they had to give was a leadership that was without that cultural paradigm and therefore cultural security. And oftentimes they paid for it with their very lives. 11 of the 12 apostles, if you want to include Matthias, and then if you throw St. Paul in there, that's 13. They all paid the price of their proclamation with their life in bloody martyrdom. This proclamation sets a new foundation for who they are, a parameters that is rooted in Jesus and becomes the parameters of the church. But what happens then if the parameters of the church themselves is questioned? What happens if the church's culture becomes corrupted? Where do we turn then? Well, this is why it's so important to look at St. Paul and what he does in his own missionary journeys.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. so you see it, a leader is a visionary
1: who adapts and creates a new culture around the vision because he possesses within himself or herself he they possess a foundation for what is going to be already in themselves that's why they're so powerful that's why you are so powerful you're entrepreneurs right and, and as an entrepreneur you're given the ability and the freedom to step out and boldly and to bring something where there is nothing, to make something happen, a new business, a new activity where there is nothing. And for that, you, you, you are just an incredible person. And, and you're, you're business leaders, you're professionals. That means that we as Christians need to do that in a Christian way. And sometimes it happens that the parameters that we're assuming, the safety net and foundation that's around us can be shaken. And during those moments, real crises can develop. How can I be sure that the leadership that I've engaged in, in the name of a foundation deeper than me, is actually the right way to go? When everyone else around me is saying, this, we should parent our children in a way that Christ would not approve of, and the church has never allowed, what do I do? Who sets the parameters for my life? It's hard. In the Acts of the Apostles, we see St. Paul in Acts chapter 11, and then Acts chapter 12, himself demonstrating a leadership where there are no parameters. I mean, there are some, of course, basic parameters, but it's really Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus, and his faith in Jesus, that allow him to push forward. I'm talking about Acts chapter 11, where all of a sudden, after St. Peter converts Cornelius, the first of the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit then falls over Gentiles in other parts of the church. And here they are, take a look at Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, of course that's St. Paul's persecution that he started, right? Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the word of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord, Now this report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and it sent Barnabas to Antioch, right? So you have some parameters. Barnabas, go and see if this is in fact is from the Lord. This conversion, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on non-Jews. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So you remember, St. Paul had had, been, had his conversion, was preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem, and had his life threatened, and then they sent him back to, to Tarsus. And, Saul, and Barnabas finds him in Tarsus. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, verse 26. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in the Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. A little bit later in Acts 13, we see verse 4, right? That he was sent out by the Holy Spirit. To do what? To be a missionary. The first time in the gospel that the gospel is brought to non uh, Jewish people explicitly and intentionally is the missionary journey of St. Paul. Now, what's amazing about this is you're like, well, where are the perimeters, Paul? How are you supposed to do this? Are you supposed to make them be obedient to the Mosaic Code upon conversion? What's the catechetical method you're going to use? Has your proclamation been approved? How are you going to deal with their renunciation of sin? What's the right formula for baptism that you're going to be employing? You know, I mean, like, where is Paul looking? At the origin of the church's culture is faith, a faith in Jesus. That is a knowledge within Christ that was given in a special way to the apostles and is not given in the same way to anyone since. So we can't imitate him in his foundational choices for the church. And I'm not saying that. The grace of apostleship ended with the, last, the death of the last of the apostles. But he, what we can imitate him in is this foundation in Jesus Christ that creates a culture around him. And when we find ourselves in a church community where the ecclesial culture is fading and practices are being entered into the air, even sometimes without the the rejection or the condemnation thereof by authorities in the church, a lot of us can become befuddled and, and confused. And we mustn't allow that to stop the cultural leadership that we're called to bring. Paul purified, and move forward the culture around him because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And we who are called into leadership, we know the faith that St. Paul and the Apostles founded once for all, and we know the depth of the knowledge of Jesus around us. We must take up the mantle now to lead. If you don't like what others around you are doing in the culture that you communally share, that it's not about bemoaning it or criticizing it that's going to change it. It's a question of embodying the deep principles that form that culture even more deeply. If you don't like the way America is going, then be a better American. If, you don't, or if you're not sure about the, the way that the church is leading you, then be a better Catholic. It's a matter of embracing those foundational ideals and embodying them. That is the leadership that allows a culture that has been established to maintain its health and to flourish. We are not going to be judged by everyone around us. We're going to be judged by the one who's before us and behind us. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a scary thing. But it was a scary thing for St. Paul, and look how he responded. In Acts 13, he just goes off. He went down to Seleucia, and from there sailed to Cyprus. They arrived at Salamis, and they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. He didn't have anyone to teach him. He moved forward. Now, again, he had a special grace as that of an apostle. I'm not saying that we are foundational in what we're about to be doing. I'm saying that we're foundational and clinging to that faith and example of the apostles, not waiting for parameters to carry us. We're not called to be like water fitting whatever surrounds us. We're called to be like fire, transforming what is around us by what is within us. We are the apostles of Jesus Christ, and his leaders in our world, in our society, and it's to him that we belong. Root yourself in Christ and in prayer, and then lead the world that he's entrusted to you. Towards him come hacker high water. This is our code, our creed, and our mission.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.